0: As Mother's Day is coming around, I find I'm missing my mom more and more. And there's always questions and stories I wish I had asked her when she was still here. I do remember that I gave her a book once upon a time with questions for her to write the answers to. And bless her heart, she didn't answer very many. So that was really a disappointment. But fast forward to now and technology, and now we have mylifeinabook.com. It takes all those questions and stories and it puts it in a format that is sent to your person, whoever you designate, on a regular basis so that the prompts come, they're easily answered either written or voice to text, and they're captured by mylifeinabook.com these family stories, this legacy that you want to leave for your children and your grandchildren. MyLifeInABook.com. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom, your dad, your children this Mother's Day. Use our coupon code ONBOYS for 10% off. Go to MyLifeInABook.com and use ONBOYS for 10% off. Create that legacy, carry on those stories. This is a special episode of On Boys as we wrap up this crazy year of 2020. This episode is our most listened to episode and it is with Dr. Karen Natterson, the author of Decoding Boys. So if you're needing that decoder ring and even more so now, we recorded this episode back in April, one month into the pandemic when we thought, oh, we've got this, we can do this and look at us now here in the close of the year of 2020. So I know that this episode will still give you so much value and information. Dr. Natterson is just a wonder and very inspiring. And remember too, that I am still here to support you with breakthrough sessions. You'll hear more about that in just a moment and then enjoy this replay of Dr. Kara Natterson, Decoding Boys. These are unprecedented times that we are living in, and Jen and I both know that it is challenging and joy filled, stressful. It's all of the things. We hope this podcast is supporting you and helping you through the challenges. And I want you to know that I, Janet, personally, am here to support you as well. I am a family coach and I work with parents individually. If you feel like the cracks are getting bigger and broader and you are losing your mind, you want more coping skills, you want new strategies, and maybe even you're feeling like it is time to really get to the bottom of this behavior of what's happening. You can schedule a breakthrough session with me. I am waiving my fee until we are free to roam again. So it's totally free. We get on the phone for about 40 minutes and we talk. You can schedule a time with me at Boys Alive dot a s that's m as in mary that will take you directly to my schedule you'll just fill that out and i will be ready to get on the phone with you i am here to support you jen is here to support you together we can do this and we can look back on this time and know that we did powerful work as parents, as teachers, as leaders. And now, here's this week's episode. No doubt you've had a lot of time to observe your tween and teen over the past few weeks, maybe too much time, or perhaps he's been behind a closed door most of the time and self-isolating from you as well have you ever wondered who is this boy man child living in your house if he is between about eight or nine and going all the way up to 18 or 20 his body mind, and spirit are changing in ways that you may not recognize unlike when girls enter puberty and they're flooded with conversations about their development and periods and girl power when boys enter puberty, according to our guest, there isn't much of a conversation at all. And if there is, it's more about the talk and don't get her pregnant and don't get an STI than it is about the subtleties of their changing bodies and minds. Our guest today, Dr. Kara Natterson, a pediatrician and parent advocate, has written a very important new book entitled "Decoding Boys." new science behind the subtle art of raising sons. As a mom of two teenagers, this is not unfamiliar territory for her. This book is the here's what you need to know guide that dispels common myths about boys and puberty and explains very clearly all of those things you may not be crazy talking with him about, acne, body odor, erections, and wet dreams, and more. She claims that as a society, we actively leave boys out of the very conversations we pull girls into and says that not talking to your son about his evolving physical, emotional and social self is the biggest Parent trap of them all. Dr. Cara Natterson is a pediatrician and New York Times bestselling author, and she's currently living in LA with her 14-year-old son, 16-year-old daughter, and her husband, and we know that is close quarters these days. Welcome, Cara. It is great to have you here. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. So as we're recording this, we've just gotten word that actually, no, there will be no more school this year. And I'm wondering how you're doing and how your teens are doing with that.
1: Uh, We haven't gotten that word quite yet here in Los Angeles, although we anticipate it. And we're doing fine. We are on spring break here, which doesn't feel a whole lot different than (laughs) the homeschooling days of the past couple of weeks. We're doing well. My kids are are settling into a routine. Uh, my husband does work in the hospital and is very much on the front lines of this. And so uh, that is our, uh, I would say, if I'm, if there is a stressor right now, that is the top of the
0: list. Yeah. And That's thank you for right that. There, sir.
2: Yeah. Before we uh, started recording, you shared that your teens are sleeping later right now. <laughs> and I would guess that that is true for everybody listening. You know, Before coronavirus, before most of us ever had heard that word, we had heard that this getting up and being at school by 8 a.m. really doesn't fit teenagers' natural body cycle. Kind of interesting that we have this living laboratory in our own homes right now.
1: It's amazing, actually. And I think our kids are teaching us a lot about what we've known intellectually for a long time, what their physical and emotional needs are. One of them is that they need more sleep and I think they're taking it. Now, the flip side of that is they're also going to bed a lot later. I've talked to kids all over the country and they are describing routines going out the window. So just a quick plug for parents to not throw away the concept of a bedtime um, because they do actually need the sleep. And if they're sleeping until... 8 or 8.30 before they jump on online school, that's great, so long as they're going to bed at a reasonable time and getting the hours they need to clock.
2: I'm finding that at my house, everything has just shifted back. They stay up later, and I'm okay with it because they can sleep later. And my guys, so far, I doubt that they will be doing school at traditional school times, I did see some teachers already, Janet, sharing around a meme, basically reminding each other that your 10 to 2 is like 9 p.m. to midnight for teenagers.
0: (laughs) That's a good one. Well, I'm also hearing from a lot of parents about pushback that kids this age already feel invincible. Why do I have to stay home? How can we support parents in convincing their teens that, yes, actually, they do have to stay home? without that pushback?
1: I'd love to help parents reframe that. They're not convincing. They're educating. You know, I've written a lot of books over the years. About half of them are directed at kids and about half of them are directed at parents. And what I have come to believe in this process more more than anything else is that kids want to be educated. They will take good information and they will run with it. And so whether it's about puberty and their body and what's happening to them, or whether it's about why they really need to stay home during a coronavirus pandemic, if we give them the rationale and we explain to them why they play a role in limiting the transmission of this disease and why they can save lives, they listen, they're interested, they want to play their part. If we just tell them no and we don't give them the why, they don't listen. It's like everything else, right? Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. sharing the rationale and educating them is the most important thing. And, you know, we've had a struggle in this country over the past few weeks because I think the adults in the US have had to educate themselves a lot. I think we're there. I think we're all clear on the role we need to play. So, now let's turn around and educate our kids.
2: You know, I feel like an important part of this, too for adults and for kids is we have to recognize and have some empathy for why they're so sad. You know, developmentally speaking, teenagers are all about spending time with their peers. This is not a minor thing for them. This is really big.
1: My 16-year-old daughter said it very well the other day. I asked her if she, you know, she has has lunch, I'm doing air quotes, lunch with her friends. And they, you know, when they have a lunch break from their online school, they all go on a FaceTime or a group chat of some sort and they hang out. And I said, how's that going? And how's so-and-so? And she looked at me and she said, you know, mom, we can't be together physically, which means we're not creating new memories in the same way, which means it doesn't always feel like there's a lot to talk about. And I thought... That's a really good way of articulating why it feels sad to them. You know, I feel really connected with all of my old friends through my whole life. I'm on the phone with people I went to college with and friends from high school, and people are zooming like crazy. But it's different for our kids who are so much of their social development is connected to forming memories, and those memories are formed generally with physical interactions. Yeah, And so it's, this is tricky stuff. Um, It's very, it's hard. And I don't think we can solve that for them. I think they're going to have to invent new ways to manage this in the short run. And I hope that when this is all over, they really, really appreciate uh, their time with their buddies um, going forward. I
0: think we all will. Oh my goodness. I mean, my friends and I are already talking about, oh, that first hug is just going to be amazing. And I mean, this is fascinating about the memory piece. I hadn't thought about it in that way. And that is a really valuable perspective. Yeah, Yeah,
1: I thought so too.
0: So let's get let's kind of shift into talking about this book that I've read and it's you know underlined and marked and I'm sure Jen loves post-it notes, so she's probably got post-it notes in her. No, book. no
2: post-it notes, but we do have we do have highlighted passages we have things <laughs> to underline. This is the book I took with me on my vacation back once upon a time ago.
0: Back in the olden days <laughs> when we could travel. I really appreciated your perspective about the developmental piece around when your son's vocabulary shrinks down to yes, no, fine. And as you say, a flat out grunt. It comes as a surprise for many parents of, wait, my kid would never stop talking and now he won't tell me anything. Can you talk about what's happening developmentally? So let me start with,
1: there are always parents who are listening to podcasts or in an audience when I'm speaking in person who say, well, not not my son. My son kept talking all the way through this whole period. And so this isn't an issue that matters to me and, and or is relevant to me. And what I say to those parents is, I'm so jealous and congratulations. And that's fantastic. But when you look back, even the chattiest kids, the volume turns down just a little. The frequency of those conversations shuts off just a little. And it's not a gendered issue in the sense that I think girls shift their communication with their parents as well. This mm-hmm. is, you know, sort of a an adolescent issue in terms of how the, the back and forth goes. But what we see in boys more often than not, and more often than we see in girls. Is a trend towards quiet. I I wish I had data that connected testosterone, the hormone that drives boy puberty, with the quiet. And I think if someone actually did that study, we would see that connection very, very quickly uh, because this is such a common phenomenon. But um, we do also know there's a huge social element. Mm -hmm. So, over the past couple of decades, girls' puberty has really been embraced and girls have really been given a very loud voice. Talk about what's happening to your body. Talk about feeling objectified and why that's not okay. Talk about body positivity. Talk about periods. Talk about, you know, that the Me Too movement opened up a whole other element of this, right? There are so many pieces to girl puberty and girl development that have been embraced culturally. And uh, these topics are not off limits. But none of this same stuff has been embraced in boy puberty. Neither boys nor their parents nor the world around them has said, oh, let's totally talk about 12 erections a day, right? (laughs) Or let's talk about the fact that your voice is changing. And this is not just, you know, the Brady Bunch and it's a funny episode. This is hard. This is embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Or let's talk about the fact that you don't really want to connect with your parents as much as you want to connect with your peers. And that's what's happening when you shut the door. And because as a society we don't talk about it as much and we haven't given boys a microphone about it. They when they retreat behind their closed doors, we allow it to happen as parents because we anticipate that it's going to happen, right because we're told this is what happens. And then our boys sort of feel like, well, no one's talking to me, so I might as well just hang out here and be behind my closed door. And for some of those boys, it means solving their issues in isolation. And for many of them it means solving their issues on a device with their peers or, frankly, with their not peers, right, on Mm -hmm. websites getting information that may or may not be good or helpful. Mm -hmm. So it's a very long way of saying there are a ton of drivers, and we have to be aware of all of them so that we can begin to shift some of them, because in the end, what I know to be true from every boy I've ever met is that they actually want to talk about it. They don't necessarily know that they want to talk about it but they are really relieved to be asked. Mm -hmm.
2: You know, your framing right there is helpful for me as a parent too, because it reminds me, this is not just an issue for my son or for me. This is a societal issue that we are all working against. So boys feel this cultural pressure that this stuff's not okay to talk about. And we parents kind of, you know, we grew up with that. We internalized a lot of that. So there's a lot of things for us to have to deal with to get to the point of having these conversations. And it's likely not going to be as easy as, you know, just opening the door and saying, hey, do you want to talk about this? It's going to be a little bit more challenging than that.
0: Yeah. So how do you make him want to talk? And when do you worry that he's been too quiet for too long?
1: Every boy is different. Every girl is different. Every parent is different. And the pairing of a parent and a child is going to be unique based Mm -hmm. upon all the the drivers, right? The personality of each person, the um, temperament, the, the, the style, the house environment, who's around, how much privacy you have, what the schedules are like. By the way, all of this has been totally turned on its head with the stay at home measures of coronavirus. And we could talk about that because the feedback that I've gotten in the last few weeks has been so interesting as it relates to how you connect with boys in particular. Because all of those communication pieces depend upon the individuals who are involved, there isn't one perfect way mm-hmm. to do this. Okay. My best advice to parents is it's not one conversation, it's thousands. <laughs> I mean, it really is. It's many, many conversations over many, many years. So you have lots of opportunities to try it lots of different ways. You can try knocking, on, always knock on the door. That's one little thing, for sure, for sure, always knock. Um, <laughs> but um, you could try knocking and going in and sitting in the room. You could try sitting outside the door. You can try passing notes. You can try opening up conversations at dinner. You can try the in the car in the old days when we were allowed to go somewhere because you're not <laughs> looking at each other, right? You can try, there are all these strategies that you can try. Some will work for some. And others will will work for others, and frankly, some will work for some for the moment, and then their boys shift, and then you got to try something else. I, it's a, it's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot. I will say, with boys at home during this whole pandemic, the feedback I have gotten and my own experience, in my own house, is that boys are talking a little bit more. It's so interesting, and I. I suspect that one of the reasons why is that these kids are on their devices all day. School is happening on devices. Friendships are happening on devices. And there's a point at which they're getting saturated and they just want to turn them off. And frankly, they, they've started coming out of their rooms a little bit. They need to get out of that space. And so this shift in lifestyle that we're seeing right now has been very, very interesting in terms of shifting conversation.
2: style slash on boys. That's armoire.style, A R M O I R E, dot style slash on boys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet. you can receive a free free 3-month supply of EasyMelt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com/onboys. That's try.easymelts T-R-Y, easy m e l t s.com forward slash on boys really interesting at my house right now i have i have four sons three of them are here now my 19 year old college student is home and i have a 16 year old and a 14 year old both boys here also my 16 year old tends towards anxiety and i can't make him talk to me but i have learned that sometimes just by being available when he's ready he'll come down and then he'll just start talking about something That has not happened yet with uh, coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of metaphorically opened the door a couple different ways, and he has not been ready to take me up on that yet. And so I'm really curious what's going on in his head, and I'm really doing what you're saying. I'm just sort of, I'll try this, I'll try that. I can't rush that timeline. He's Mm -hmm. coping in his own way. I have noticed- Because I have three boys at home, because they can't get out and do what they normally do with their friends, they're doing much more socializing amongst themselves. And even, like Janet, they were playing video games the other day, and uh, the 16-year-old was in his room playing on his TV. The 19-year-old was in his room playing, but they kept the doors open so they could be talking to each other in real time (laughs) without having to use headphones it's sort of fun to see these things happen. It's not ideal. This is not what anybody expected to be doing right now, but they're kind of socializing with each other. It's an opportunity to grow those relationships as well.
1: And that feels like to me, a baby step in this right direction for you. Right. Um, And I think that the sibling dynamics and how those have shifted, they they tend to lead the parent child dynamic. You know what I mean? They, Mm -hmm. it, it shifts with your sibs a little bit sooner than it might shift with parents. It's yep. like a testing ground. Um, and so I wonder if you will see, I, I would love to know if you're seeing over the next few weeks uh, shift towards opening up a little for you. But again, you know, that's wrong. every kid is different. So you have four sons, they all relate to you differently and yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just remarkable. We just mastered this parenting thing with one of them at one point in time and it's like, whoops, nope, that does not apply to them. And thing. they change on us. Yes, they do.
2: One of the parts of your book that I really appreciated as a parent was your section on late blooming boys. <laughs> and I particularly liked this because my now 16 year old, he has hit a growth spurt finally. And he's Getting close to his peers. But for the longest time, you know, he was the little kid. Having had four boys, having sat in the bleachers for many, you know, seventh, eighth grade um, basketball games, it just seems cruel for, to put, <laughs> to group kids by age at that point because there is such yeah. a wide range of difference. You've got kids who look like they're still in fourth grade, and you've got other kids who, you know, look like they should have a
1: job already. Yeah. And I, you know, I do write a lot about late blooming. My take home message is always this. It's really hard to be the last. And it's really hard to be the first. And frankly, it's really hard to be in the middle.
0: (laughs) Yes. You know,
1: um, they're just different kinds of hard. And the late bloomers, my son happens to be one of those who at 13 looked like he was 23 neither my husband nor i were that way so we did not quite know how to manage it and the challenges for him were that he was expected to be able to make decisions because of the way he looked that had nothing to do with where his brain was in development that's hard but i find for the late bloomers the the reverse which is being treated infantilized being treated yes. like you're really young that's not just hard that feels demoralizing that mm-hmm. is It's a different kind of challenge that they will often talk about very openly, especially when they're through it on the other end. For the late bloomers, I have found that when you talk to men who were late bloomers and they look back, they attribute some of their best personality traits and some of their greatest successes in life to the fact that they were late bloomers because being a late bloomer made them scrappier. They had to work harder. They had to put in more effort for everything. And over time, that has paid off for them in the long run. But in the short run, it doesn't necessarily feel like that.
2: It's really (laughs) hard when you're trying to support a 14-year-old through that, because... You know, somebody tells you that when you're 14 and it seems like a fairy tale. It, it doesn't right. seem real. And as a parent, you also feel helpful because you know it's true, but you know yep. your kid is hurting in the here and now, and you know you really can't fix that. You can right. listen and you can make space for it, and those are hugely important things. But it's hard.
0: Very. Very. And it will change. It is temporary, but it is hard. You know,
2: I have found that uh, men who were late bloomers tend to be very sympathetic and empathetic to the boys who were, and often will kind of take them under their wings a little bit. Parents, if there is anybody that you know in your life that you could connect your son with, I think that could be really helpful.
0: It's great advice. Yeah. And talk about this place that can apply to late bloomers, but actually all, all of our boys, is that they can be so smart and so dumb simultaneously. What is going on? It
1: applies to girls too, by the way, little side note. Um, <laughs> and, and it applies to all of them because it, it has everything to do with brain development, right? So the process of brain development is it's very stepwise. And how messages get sent quickly and efficiently in your brain all depends upon what parts of your brain are essentially insulated, which cells are covered with a fatty layer called myelin. And the cells that are covered with the insulation send messages really, really quickly. And the cells that are not insulated, not covered, send messages, but they're really, really slow. It's no different than a wire that has a plastic coating on the outside. Mm -hmm. And so in the teenage brain, the area of the brain that is totally insulated, ready to go, sends and receives messages super quickly, is the emotional center of the brain. It's called the limbic system. And that's the part of the brain that drives impulsive, feel-good, risk-reward behaviors. And the part of the brain that is not insulated yet and cannot send and receive messages so quickly is the prefrontal cortex. And that's the part of the brain that is in charge of really smart, long-term, thoughtful, consequential decisions. So it is why they are both very smart. They have the brain. They have all the pieces in there, but they often behave in really dumb ways because the impulsive feel good part of their brain is driving so many of their decisions. And I should say that that impulsive part of the brain is turned on by your friends. So whether your friends are in the same physical room or on social media with you or on a call with you, when kids are interacting with peers, that part of their brain is lighting up like crazy. When they're sitting at the dinner table with us and we ask them the question, you know, are you going to drink? Are you going to do this? Are you going to jump off that building? Whatever it is, you know," they answer with the prefrontal cortex. They, they don't have the peer influence around. And so they give us the answer that we want to hear because their brain has the time to process the question and know what we need to know in response. So they can tell us all the right things, but they can't necessarily do it. And I wonder, I do wonder how this coronavirus pandemic is going to impact risk-taking behaviors because the peer influence is not as, I mean, it's there on social media and on video chats, but it is not in the same way as, uh, as real life. So we'll see what that data shows. You know
2: interesting. what's interesting, though? As you were talking about that the um, emotional part of the brain is, is the part that... Uh, Yeah, it tends to react first, more quickly. Um, For an article that I was just working on, kind of why even really smart people are prone to fall for things like, oh, drink water and you won't get coronavirus. During times of stress, Mm -hmm. we humans, adults as well, during times of stress, we humans tend to not think as critically and respond from emotion. And so I'm wondering if, you know, we're going to, some of the reactions that we're seeing from our kids now and in the coming weeks, we're all being driven by emotions, I think a little bit more now than when life is more stable.
1: That's right. And we want a quick answer. And so we do go to the, the risk reward part of our brain, which we all have too. And it's still mature. It still sends and receives information very quickly in the adult brain. And so if the reward looks promising, right? If you're not going to get coronavirus because you drink water, your brain goes, ding, 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 I'm going to drink water, right? It's not an irrational response. It's just that you have to weigh that against all the other information that's coming in. And you're right, the emotional Um, sort of underpinnings of all of it turns up our limbic system in much the same way that we watch it in our kids.
0: And this is such a good conversation to have with your kids, to explain it this way. Here's what's going on. Here's why. And engage in that conversation. Nobody ever talked to me about this when I was a teen. How would that have changed my behavior? Who knows? But but to really have that deeper conversation is really important. And now you have the time to do that. The yeah. thing I really want to make sure we talk about today is your chapter on body image and how we maybe don't pay as much attention to the messages that boys receive we're all about girls and body image and beauty and all of those things but i think we're missing the boat with our boys and of course another conversation that we have to have with our boys talk about the messaging that boys are getting and what they're doing in response to it
1: well Interestingly, the messaging that boys are getting is not so different from the messaging that girls have gotten for a long, long time, which is there is a body ideal and here's what it is. And they see it in print advertising, in media, in you know, everyday life. Uh, there's a body type. And frankly, for, for girls, the, the ideal body type has been diversified quite a bit over the past 10 or 15 years. Whereas for boys, there's really one body type that is sort of the ideal male body type. The biggest difference here is that, again, we've talked to girls about the the sort of oppressive nature of this one perfect body ideal, and even now these these three or four different you know the super curvy and the super skinny and all this are still body ideals, and girls have language around that, and they understand that there's there's a there's a sort of an impression that is connected to that. Boys have no language around it because mm-hmm. no one says. The, the requirement that you have the following 25 things, starting with either a full head of hair or a perfectly shaved bald head and working all the way down through the six-pack abs, you know, the whole thing. No one has really spent time messaging boys saying, hey, you you may not look like that, and it's okay that the goal is health, not this visual ideal. And, and that does a great disservice to our boys. When I was in medical school, I was taught, like everyone else, that 10% of all eating disorders were male and 90% were female. And that, those statistics tend to show up in all the articles that you read. But they're not true. The real data is that about 50% of body image issues... Reside with boys and about 50% with girls. The only body image diagnosis that's more prevalent in girls is anorexia. And that's about 75% female when you get to hospitalized anorexia versus males. But males are more likely to die of their anorexia because it is so underappreciated. And the much bigger issue for boys is not anorexia, which is weight loss, right? The bigger issue for boys is body dysmorphia that drives really unhealthy behaviors towards weight gain. So most boys are trying to achieve the male body ideal by bulking up, not by losing weight. And as parents, we've been taught, look for weight loss as your flag. Well, that's not correct when we're looking at boys trying to achieve the body ideal. Most boys are trying to either bulk up or they're trying to lose fat and gain muscle. Which is still a form of bulking up. It is not our classic weight loss that we look for in girls. So, boys are missed. This is labeled a female issue. So, boys are often uh, quite ashamed when they are identified because they feel like they have uh, a diagnosis that doesn't belong to them. Right? It's mm. a it's a girl problem. Again, I think we're we're doing better with with getting rid of these gender stereotypes in our world, but we're still, we're still stuck there quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and parents don't know how to look for it. It's really tricky. It's really tricky. This is an easy one for parents to say, to open up a conversation. Hey, I've never thought about this before, but do you feel like there's a body ideal for guys? And what does that look like? And do you feel any pressure? Oh, you will not, they will talk so fast. Even the quiet ones will talk about that. It's a
2: tough one for parents to recognize too because if your teenage son you know suddenly starts seeming to take more interest in his body and if this is coming after that period where you couldn't get him to take a shower if if his life depended on it you're like this is a positive thing. So he's working out more. I would say right. going to the gym but probably not right now but you know <laughs> lifting <laughs> weights seeming to put more attention into that and those things can be very positive. Are there some things parents should be watching out for to be alert like when it might be tipping away from just a healthy concern for well-being and development to something a little more dysfunctional?
1: You're absolutely right that a lot of these behaviors in moderation are really healthy. And so I think that's the key is everything in moderation. First of all, while our kids are practicing Uh, their lying skills as teenagers, and this is a big developmental piece to being a teenager, uh, they're not great at it. And so you um, can and should ask them often, uh, how they feel about themselves and their bodies. You, you
2: know, you can't, you can't see me, but you can probably hear that we have some laughter in our voice because this whole idea that our teens are practicing, they're lying, and they're not good at it just rings so true. Everybody <laughs> listening to this right now is hearing something that their kids have said to them, where as the adult, we're just trying to watch with a straight face and go, uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Exactly. So they you know, it's true about how they feel about their bodies too. so that's, you can ask the questions, but also watch the behavior. So everything in moderation. If you have a kid, and now that our kids are home, right, it's easier Mm -hmm. to see what's going on. If you have a kid who is exercising regularly every day and feeling great, terrific. If you have a kid who's exercising several hours a day, and you're starting to see behavior that is starting to raise some flags for you, that it's important to acknowledge those flags, right? Let's not, let's not ignore them. So an hour a day of, of a run or, you know, a, a, some sort of workout that you can do at home or outside socially distanced that's healthy and safe, great. Three hours a day, four hours a day, or a child who's exercising so much that they're hurting themselves and then they're still going out there. Um, you know, these are, these are reasons to have conversations, not just with your child, but also with your pediatrician. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a
2: question about that, especially given everything that's going on in the world right now. You see some red flags. Normally, you'd contact your pediatrician. You have concerns about your child's you know, development. You're worried, if is his late blooming a problem or is it just normal? Talk to your child's pediatrician is great advice. And yes. right now, that may be more difficult as offices are closed and, and doctors are busy. So what would you tell parents right now?
1: Yeah, it's such a good question. So I think parents are very sensitive to the fact that doctors are very much on the front lines and very overworked, but doctors are very sensitive to the fact that all the things that preceded coronavirus will continue. That all of the normal health concerns, psychological concerns, emotional concerns are all going to continue. And doctors are doing everything they can to be available to their patients to manage all those same things that have existed in the practice of primary care for a long time. So I would really suggest that parents identify uh, the, the path that their doctors want to use to connect with patients. For some, it's telemedicine, video conferencing. For others, it's phone calls. Uh, but doctors are not gone. Uh, They just don't want you coming into the office and they may need a little bit more time to get back to you, but they're reachable. And if you're concerned about something, you do want to reach out because the last thing you want is to think, I'm nervous about bothering my doctor, so I'm not going to call at all. And then to have a problem snowball at home that you maybe could have solved a little bit earlier on. Um, So don't don't be afraid to ask for the help. Just um, be a little more patient with the process and anticipate that it's going to be a call or a video conference because that's
0: safest. That's very reassuring. Thank you for that. You know, as we wrap up our conversation, and as I said before we started recording, we could probably go on for quite some time. I'm curious if there is anything that surprised you as you were researching and writing this book.
1: You know, the the reason that I wrote the book in the first place was that I write these body books, and I had written several for girls, and I was very frustrated with the lack of information that was packaged for and marketed to boys, uh, because the process of going through puberty is not so different for girls and for boys. And uh, my puberty books are through American Girl, and American Girl gave me the go-ahead to do a boy book. And as I was writing it, I got a lot of pushback from a lot of people. Boys won't read that. I mean, that was American Girl's biggest concern, too, was boys won't read that. And the more I heard that, the more motivated I was to get it out into the world. And when I did, I wasn't surprised, but everyone else seemed to be, that boys wanted the information. They wanted the conversation starters and they continue to want it. And that book, Guy Stuff, sells in in ridiculous numbers, I think because there's nothing that is geared towards boys and that talks to them in a way that honors the fact that they want the information. I think the thing that surprised me most about writing Decoding Boys, which was essentially meant to be a parent handbook and also a book that older boys could read, because if you have a high schooler or, or, or a me- reading middle schooler, so not, not a middle schooler who doesn't like to read, don't force this book on them, but if you have a reader who's a middle schooler, um, they can read it too. One of the things that surprised me was that initially that same amount of pushback. No one's going to read that, right? And now all of the um, same feedback. Oh my gosh, I never thought about it. I never, I never thought my son would want to talk to me. or Or the flip my son talks to me about everything. And then parents read it and went, oh, wait, no, my son doesn't <laughs> talk to me about everything. My, talk, my son talks to me about one thing over and over because that's <laughs> the safe topic, right? So, um, so it, it has surprised me the insistence among initially boys and then their parents that no, we don't need these conversations. And it has pleasantly surprised me to hear how many people are relieved to know they're not alone. Um, And that, in fact, kids, guys, do want to talk about all this.
2: You know, that's something that we talk about and we felt as well. We have been talking about boys and issues that they're facing in society and in culture, in schools for years. And yet, this larger conversation, it's not necessarily been part of that. And so a lot of people, unless you have a son or you're close to a boy, they think, oh, everything's fine with boys. And so we really appreciate you being another voice forward to say, hey, we have to pay attention to what's going on with our boys. Let's talk about and treat our boys with respect and give them space to learn about themselves and to find their place in the world
1: as well. Well, I love what you guys do. It's fantastic.
2: Normally, we would ask you right now about like a book tour, (laughs) Uh, I imagine that's, you're probably not going on a speaking tour. What do you have going on and how can people find you and learn more about your book?
1: Well, I'm podcasting a lot, um, which I'm enjoying, but what I'm spending most of my days doing at this point is trying to uh, gather all the good information I can about coronavirus as it relates to parenting and I have a newsletter that I'm putting out now every couple of days, um, and people are welcome to go to my website, which is WorryProofMD, it's Worry, W-O-R-R-Y, Proof, P-R-O-O-F-M-D, like com. And there's a, a big sign up button at the bottom, and uh, hopefully that information will help parents navigate, give them articles to pass along to their kids. Uh, There's a little humor in every single one. Um, This is, you know, meme central right now with coronavirus. So um, I I get to pick and choose, but uh, that's how I've been spending my days.
2: We will include a link to that below. And I am going to go subscribe as soon as we get off this call because I could use All the accurate information I need. I've been writing about coronavirus a lot, but you know, it's one thing for me to research it and write it, and another thing for me to communicate it to my sons and any guidance there. Appreciate it.
0: My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. I know it is a busy time for you, and we just really, I'll speak for myself, have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and appreciate your wisdom, and your ability to communicate that to our listeners. And we we wish you all the best.
1: Oh, thank you. I hope you guys stay safe and home and wash your hands and all that good stuff.
2: Thanks for joining us. We are Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison, and we are here to support you in parenting and teaching tomorrow's men.